I grew up in, in rural Idaho, so redneck country. Uh, and my whole family, they, they were obsessed with Larry the Cable Guy. So, uh, get her done. Get her done. <laughs> so I remember, like, I, I grew up hunting and, like, like going dirt bike riding and whatnot. <clears throat> and whenever we get stuck, my uncles would always be like, come on and get her done. You're going to get it out of there. Come on, get her done. Hello, friends. This week's episode has some technical difficulties on the audio side. I still think it's super funny if you can get past how muffled and robotic my voice sounds. I hope you enjoy it. It's a very funny episode. Here we go. Are you just trying to live, laugh, or love? Or are you just trying to do all of the above? This is the podcast for you. If you're an aspiring comic, a headlining comic, a class clown, or just an average bro or doe looking for a good time, you, my friend, are in the right place. Welcome to the magical world of Just Trying to Podcast. Here we go. Welcome, triers, doers, and everything betweeners this is just trying to podcast with your host mike tony heath this week i am joined by a special a very special guest on the podcast this man has traveled the world to and fro we are here on our jobs uh, annual getaway retreat which is why we look like bums we just ran two miles uh, this guy's about to run a, a half marathon. He was one of the groomsmen in my wedding. This guy has been quoted by Forbes magazine as a financial guru. So this week is all about just trying to finance with the one, the only, Taylor Garnica. Give it up for him, everybody. Wow, a roaring applause. A roaring applause coming in. Uh, before we get hopped into this week's episode, I want to thank a supporter of the podcast. This episode, episode number 17, is brought to you by supporter of the podcast. None other than give it up for Alex Robinson. A-Rob, thank you so much from Bozeman, Montana. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast. As one of the supporters, we couldn't do what we do with JTP without triers and doers like you so thank you here's a word from a rob himself hey this is uh alex robinson and i'm just such a big fan of this podcast my favorite episode was one with charles hall jr blew my mind i was laughing my head off life changing i highly recommend this podcast uh you will regret it if you miss out all right uh thank you again a rob uh we we appreciate you so much love and appreciation goes out to you thank you so much uh, Taylor, I want to get things going. We've already said, you know, you're uh, by Forbes magazine, a financial guru. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feel free to Google that. Uh, <laughs> look them up. Uh, no, but you do know things about finance. Yeah. Um, and you are not a comedian. No, not even a little bit. Would you describe yourself as an average beau trying to have a good time? That feels insulting, but <laughs> still feels insulting. Uh, sure, <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe an average Joe, maybe an average Joe. I can't tell if that's better or not, dude. I uh, I just realized in this moment that Bo could be a gender gender neutral name. 
Couldn't Joe? Joe could as well. Uh, so if you're a Joe or a Bo, who knows what gender you are? Hopefully you do. Uh, what a little bit about your personal history. Um, they just want to get to know you a little bit. Like you're currently in, in somewhat of a financial role a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, more of probably like a fundraising coach would probably be a more accurate description or director of fundraising. director of profits and fundraising. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Great. That's so you you are what I'm trying to get to is that you know something that maybe hopefully hopefully, maybe, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> you know something I could be faking it that either I don't or some of the listeners don't know and maybe you can teach us. But we do talk a lot about comedy. Okay. On this podcast, so I'm curious. Like you're not a comedian yourself, not even a little bit. Uh, but I would love to know, like, what's your first memory that you can remember of stand-up comedy? If you just go back Ooh. in the archive files of your mind, like the first time you remember some version of stand-up comedy. My, uh, I grew up in, in rural Idaho, so redneck country. Uh, and my whole family, they, they were obsessed with Larry the Cable Guy. So uh, Get her done! Get her done! <laughs> So I remember, like, I, I grew up hunting and, like, like going dirt bike riding and whatnot. <clears throat> and we'd, whenever we get stuck, my uncles would always be like, come on and get her done. You going to get it out of there? Come on, get her done. That's probably my earliest. And then uh, there's this other, and I, I'm not going to remember, but there's this other comedy show. It's got, like, at the time, it's older. It had, like, four really famous, moderately famous comics essentially and some bald host would essentially pull prompts out of like a fishbowl and they it was impromptu they just had to go out and oh whose line is it anyway whose line is it any i was obsessed with that show when i was a kid yeah there was some there were some skits there that like had me rolling so it's probably my earliest memories larry That's the good. Cab- yeah. larry the cable guy and whose line is it is it whose line, line is it anyway anyway yeah i think the professionals you can correct me if i'm wrong would would just dis- would distinct distinguish that was a tough word to get at. My Missouri is showing right now. Distinguish. Okay, so Larry the Cable would fall up in like stand up, and whose line it anyway? Whose line is it anyway? Would fall in like the improv sketch comedy, but they are like cousins, like they're deeply related. That's at least how I think about it. Yeah, I would agree with that. But like, even like, I feel like, but because like some like stand up comics like are like improvers like they'll get up and like they'll do stage work you know like or crowd work on stage like they'll do like something live on the spot they'll come up with something but, like other people like stand-ups are like rehearsed and like they have a script you know whereas improv is just like yeah pull a line out of the bucket and then like you just make something up yeah yeah like maybe yeah. you have a character in mind but it's like on the spot created whereas like most of stand-up is like not improvised but a show rehearsed yeah um but like they're very similar art forms, I would say. I would agree with that. I don't. I really. I. I. I wouldn't even have even considered comedy as an art until like the last couple weeks. What? What? What shifted in your mind? Oh, honestly, I was. So we're in a beautiful place right now, and uh, I was driving a coworker's car up uh, for him, and uh, I had didn't want to listen to music so i just threw in some podcasts and i was listening to a joe rogan podcast with andrew schultz 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 whoever that comedian is and they were talking about comedy as a form of art and the way that they dialogued about the different forms of art within comedy makes 
now as a listener and an understanding of comedy, very, 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 very shallow, <laughs> very shallow understanding of comedy, very much can see it as like an art form. So as an example, something that they talked about was there's a difference when you're in a small room and maybe an audience of 50 versus when you're in an arena and you've got 10,000 people watching you. The way that you deliver the art fundamentally changes because you can't work a room with 10,000 people in it because it's not as personal. Whereas with a room of 50, like you can play with the crowd, you can like poke fun at people. And that to me makes sense. And how you have to like change your art. And like, I don't even know if I would call it strategy. Your approach to it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Could be a strategy. Yeah. Have you ever been to a live comedy show? Like like a live stand-up comedy? like Yeah, yeah yours. Well, like, besides, like, an, yeah, I should have clarified that. That's a good clarification. So you've been to an open mic at the Spokane Comedy Club. Yeah. The first time I did comedy. Yeah, and the guy told that, me, I don't know if that's appropriate to say. <laughs> I'll probably cut it out. But, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll leave the part in where I said I'm probably going to cut it out and leave the audience to wonder what you said. <laughs> um, but So you've been to an open mic, which is, like, mostly unprofessionals. Like and people who very uncomfortable. Yeah. So like people like me for the first time they're going on stage. Maybe they haven't practiced what they're going to say. Maybe they don't even know what they're going to say. Then you have also have professionals that are going up there working new material or just their greatest hits. Who knows? Right. Um, so you've been to an open mic at a comedy club, which is probably a higher level than just a bar. But if you've like paid to see a professional comic, like on a tour or whatever, oh, never. no, no, I w- there it's for no other reason besides like it just never interested me. Yeah. I I have this subtle thing where if someone if their job on stage is to make me laugh, I I'm like challenged by that. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to laugh then. It's interesting. It's a, it's like, fascinating. Yeah, right. I'm like, you can't make me laugh. And then it becomes this weird game, and at the same time, if the comic is a total dud, it's just awkward. Yeah. And it, so it's just it's never like that's my that might be harsh, but that's my take on it. And I'm like, I just I can't. No, do I think that. that's interesting. You have a perspective, like as someone who's never gone to a live comedy show, you've no. seen some comedy, yeah. uh, you've listened to podcasts about comedy, uh, because it is a different environment. Whenever you are around a dinner table or you're on a walk with a friend, you tell them a story, like a funny thing. You're like, that is hilarious, and you could say that word for word on a stage and get no laughs. It's like the the environment of like I expect you to be funny. Or I expect you to make me laugh. Like I can't. I paid money so that you on stage would make me laugh as the customer. You know. Yep. So it's like a very interesting art because, like, if you, it's like I view it. I'm not a musician, but I view it differently. Like if someone played a song for you at like a family gathering, that'd be a weird thing. But like you would probably still like you could still right, guys stop eating dinner. Yeah, I got, I, got, I, got a, I got a new song for you. Um. But, like, the change in those environments from, like, the casual to, like, I've paid to enjoy this entertainment, like, it doesn't feel as different versus, like, a, a, a joke, like, a, a story or something you funny you say on a stage. Gotcha. Like, the difference between, like, a casual environment to, like, this very formal, like, there's lights and speakers, um, how it's received differently. Right, right, like right. Like, you were just talking about the pressure of, like, you think you're going to make me laugh. And, like, you got to work for it, buddy. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, no, totally. Yeah. Totally. 
there was something in that podcast that I was listening to where you have to sound genuine is the 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 theme I kept hearing. Mm-hmm. Like you have to believe it almost. Mm-hmm. And what they were saying is the audience can feel when you don't believe it or when you're not emotionally connected to what you're talking about. Right. And how that connection between the performer and the audience. I mean, you could apply that to music. You could apply that to acting. Like, if someone isn't connecting with their audience as an actor, we would call them a bad actor. Right. Or, like, if your music doesn't connect with your audience, they're just not going to listen to you. So, in that sense, as well, it helped me understand, one, the complexity of comedy and reinforce that I will probably never, ever personally do stand-up because <laughs> I'm not that funny. We'll see. <laughs> and, uh, it, yeah, I just have a newfound respect for it. I think. <laughs> I think. I think. I don't we'll know. We'll find out. Okay, so I'm interested. As someone uh, who isn't a comedian themselves, uh, has never done comedy, uh, who's never been to like a live, like professional show, uh, do you have a Mount Rushmore of favorite comedians? Like your top four? Like who, you, who are you putting up on your Mount Rushmore of favorite comedians? Dude, every time I listen to uh, Andrew Schultz, Schultz, dude, he's up there. I d- he just. He is so offensive, but just in the right ways. Like, <laughs> so offensive, but in the right way. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, gosh, he just started a podcast. He's like from the South. He's got like a mullet. Uh, and he just says Give things. me one more descriptor. I'm going to find him. Yeah, one more descriptor. Uh, he he says, he when he talks, you just don't understand what he's saying. Are you talking about Theo Vaughn? Theo Vaughn. Dude. Theo Vaughn. Okay. Theo Vaughn. Yeah. <laughs> we had that third descriptor really, really brought it home. S- <laughs> Southern mullet. Whenever you hear him say words, you're not quite sure what are you talking about, but, but like I'm t- laughing. <laughs> you know, like what and are you if, saying, dude? Exactly. And if he talks long enough, you're like, oh yeah, I understand, but very, very loose connection. <laughs> <laughs> I'll roll with it. All right. Well, there's uh, this one clip of his podcast that I love. He's like, he's talking about uh, when he was born, that the doctors said he was born with a rare body style. <laughs> like he had the, the rib cage of a large cat. He had the, the heart of a lesbian, you know, that real ticker and wants to do something naughty. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out too. So people don't know what we said, but like it was on the edge. <laughs> Dude, this might be insulting. To you, but sometimes you give me Theo Vaughn energy. I'll receive that, dude. He's like very successful. Like, uh, I actually really relate to Theo. Like, uh, it's like it's often said, like you don't know if he's telling like the truth, but you believe that he's saying the truth. Like, it seems like such a crazy story. Like, how can this be true? But you really believe him to like be telling like an authentic story, just like what you're talking about, like genuine. Oh, a hundred percent. But like the story, he says like, "There's like, how is that possible?" You know, oh, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dude. But like, he he really like, you can believe him. Uh, he like he believes it as he's saying it. So, I, and uh, I'm I'm like I like to tell stories like that too. So yeah, I relate to him. Like he was he was telling someone who had six pack abs that he looked like one of those turkeys that you freeze and it has the lines in it, and the person was so offended, and he was like, "No, like." He was offended that they were offended because he's like, I'm complimenting you. But it's like you just told them that he looked like a frozen turkey. <laughs> how does frozen turkey and abs? How do they... I can see it, but like. That... That's stretch. Yeah. Like how, how do you get there in your mind? Yeah. It's incredible. So you have Kevin Hart, Andrew Schultz, uh, Theo Vaughn. And probably Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. He's, he's hard not to put. Dude, he's the GOAT. Any honorable mentions that you would 
Like, yeah, I'll put you up there. <laughs> That's what I, was, I was just looking for that. Uh, I, was I was wondering if you going to say it. I was wondering if you wanted me to put my Heath <laughs> on the. Uh... But you've only seen me do my first set. Yeah. And Where then, that guy said that thing afterwards that we yeah, took yeah, out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, that we, we, we cut out. Uh, and then I didn't do comedy for like over a year. Yeah, you were traumatized. I was traumatized from that. Uh, <laughs> and then I like. Yeah, I got back into it. Um, so uh, maybe I'll have to come down to, to where you for, live. For uh, for some color to the paint of this mystery, there was an audience friend group of like 30. And we were oh, about, I brought friends. Bro, <laughs> after this person got up there and said that thing, we were about ready to throw hands. <laughs> like even after the comedy show was over, we were all pissed. But people were so nice. Like even outside the friend group, they were like, hey, like we know it's your first time. So like, good job doing it. And like that guy's a jerk, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. Any other thoughts on comedy that you have? I have a growing appreciation for comedy. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, or I'm just branching out into new sectors of art. Like my wife and I love art. Like we love going to art museums. Like we went to the Kansas City Art Museum with you and just loved it. Love art. Love classical music. Love rap. They're very different, like those art forms. And I'm learning that comedy is just like a new, it's just not a new, it's a different form of art and storytelling. It's a whole it, new world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it makes me laugh, and I and I like to laugh. So That's good. Um, I, I have some finance questions for you. All right. First one, just off the dome, off the top, let's just get this, the crack the seal. What is crypto? Dude, what is crypto? Dang it. <laughs> you don't know. Shoot. <laughs> I mean, I know what it is. But, like, at the same time, for anyone who knows finance out there in the world, like, we're all like, yeah, crypto. But also, there's, like, this inkling in us that's like, man, kind of, but, like, what is crypto? Blockchain. I just say that. I don't, I really don't know so, what that means. But so, just... the, there's so much you can say about crypto. I'll say why I do like crypto and why I don't like crypto. Okay, and that's that may, great. that may help people who don't, like, aren't investors and don't know investing language understand it so essentially crypto is uh it is decentralized a form a decentralized form of currency so so like if you live in the united states or if you travel anywhere you're going to pay for stuff with the u.s dollar because it's the world currency right now or if you live in china you're going to use what they use there if you live in russia you're going to use what they use there if you live in mexico you're going to use what they use there the fact that crypto is so exciting but also terrifying to large large institutions is it has no allegiance to a single country. That's so, like me, baby. Come no on. No allegiance. <laughs> except to the king. <laughs> uh, so it's crypto is fascinating because uh, it isn't swayed by anything political because it doesn't belong to anyone, which – brings me to my second point what is crypto like what is it and what like what even is it uh because it doesn't belong to anyone what gives it value we do we just describe value to it exactly the problem is is it's it's not new it's just pop popularity of it is really new and then you got a bunch of crazy people coming out here and making up new coins and having new ideas that all of a sudden, it's like, I just say that this is worth a million dollars. Yeah. And, like, says who? Says who 
Like, I can't tell you whether or not it's worth a million dollars because you haven't, its lifespan hasn't been long enough. So that's why I say, like, the double-edged sword of it. Yeah, almost. like it, it. Crypto's it's fascinating, but even like, what even is it? So I think in fifty years, maybe crypto is going to be much more of a prevalent scene than it, and it feels prevalent now. But I think in fifty years, the way we talk about crypto is going to be really different as it's more adopted and used. Once fifty percent of any market begins to use crypto as a general currency transaction, I, it's going to change the world, hundred percent. But right now, like more than the internet, well, more than the iPhone. Oh, definitely. More what than changed the, the world more, the iPhone or the internet? Internet. Okay. Because you can a- access the internet on many different phones that are not the iPhone. But like the entrance of the iPhone, like shaped our future. Oh, for sure. But I think, I mean, it's hand in hand. Like the iPhone sure. is a result, I would say, of the internet. Because it was right. us accessing more and more information, so we needed a larger screen than just like a little, the Nokia brick phone. <laughs> like you just needed to see the, the like the nine digits that you were calling, and you could play Snake. Great, <laughs> dude. What was your high school on Snake? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but because of the internet, like yeah, yeah. we we need more of a screen to access more of the information that we're looking for, whether it's checking our email or looking at funny videos or looking at social media, like whatever it is. That's a result of the internet. So I think they go hand in hand. Like the iPhone wouldn't be what it is without the internet. And I really don't think the internet would be what it is without the iPhone. Because the iPhone started the whole trend that you're seeing with all the other phones and technology that we have today. Like even the the iPad is just a larger iPhone. I have nothing to refute that. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to, but I, nothing came to mind of how thing, I could disprove my, that, my, that. My favorite thing is seeing people like at graduations, and you see that grandma, and she's got her like her giant, giant iPad. iPad. She's like taking photos. Like, why, why don't you just bring your TV? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's good. So should I and should I? I don't know if you should shit on me, but uh, <laughs> what would you say about me investing in crypto? Like, should I have crypto? Uh, let me preface by saying I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a weird <laughs> disclaimer guy. at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> this is not official advice of how you should <laughs> use your finances. Just do a quick Google search on whether or not I'm actually on Forbes. <laughs> that should tell you. Just a weirdo whose whole family's gotten really into investing and done really well with it. Um, I am a firm. I am a firm believer in playing it safe, not playing it risky. Because it's just way less stressful. And if you play your cards right, you'll do well in, in general investments. So if anyone's portfolio, uh, sorry, with anyone's portfolio, I would say take anywhere between 5 and 10% of that. And with the understanding that you're willing to lose that money and invest in crypto. But it has to come with a precursor that you're okay if that money goes from however much to $0. Sounds like sound advice. Yeah, five to ten percent of your portfolio, all of it. Um, I think if you want to get into crypto, uh, then do it. My portfolio is like two percent of it is in crypto, just because I don't like volatility. And volatility is just for—I mean, I know what it is, but just if it's someone's listening or to this and they don't know what volatility is, so markets change. the The stock market is changed all the time by corporations making bad decisions, good decisions, CEOs getting caught in affairs, uh, making bad decisions, what's happening in the world, whether we're not, we're at war, 
there's so many factors that impact the stock market uh, that brings a level of volatility. So volatility is the changes in the market. And the more aggressive you are in your investments, uh, the, the essentially the higher the, the chance of loss if uh, those investments aren't necessarily diversified or they're in uh, stocks that are maybe not as reliable. The return on those is typically higher, but the risk is also higher. So crypto, super volatile. We saw that. And during COVID, I mean, everyone was like, dude, sell everything you have, buy Dogecoin and Bitcoin. And it went from like, I don't even know what, to like 50K for a coin. And now, I mean, I checked like a month ago, it was like 22,000 for a coin. For Bitcoin. For Bitcoin. Yeah. In two years, that's a ton of change. I would say that's volatile. That's great. It's also beginning to rain. Yeah, and I'm wondering how hard it's going to go. I feel like it's just getting darker and darker. Uh, so maybe we like, there's not even a great place to move. Uh, but we'll be back. <laughs> okay. Learn something um, every day. Dude. Okay. So we're, now here we are. We've moved. <laughs> if you're in the video <laughs> version of this, you're like, what just happened? They teleported. Uh, we just moved out of the rain. And, uh, uh, so it's funny you bring up Dogecoin because, uh, I actually got in in the right time on Dogecoin. Did you get out at the right time? I got in and out almost at the perfect time. Dude. I got in when Dogecoin was at seven cents, and I got out when Dogecoin was at forty-seven cents. Not not when it was at like sixty-three cents. I was like, I'm just an eternal optimist. I was like, it's gonna keep going, baby. It's going to a dollar, and then I'll sell. And then it got down below fifty, and I was like, all right, I gotta sell. So I no sold. No way. Yeah, that's actually how I bought my smoker, my grill was a Dogecoin investment. Heck yeah. Yeah. So. I took the profits from Dogecoin and uh, bought a Traeger. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pretty cool. So that's what I mean when I say <laughs> that's a, super cool. But like I could have lost all of that money. And if I would be in it now, yeah. I think I would have. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So that's what I'm saying. Like when for people who don't understand investments or marketing, when we say volatility, what you hear are those stories. Like, dude, I just put my money into the market and I made a ton of money and I bought a Traeger. I'm not making fun of you specifically. That's amazing. <laughs> that is my story, though. No, no, no. no. That's just, a, I got yeah, lucky. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's amazing. But you, we hear those stories and assume that that's what all investing is, and that's that's not true. That's just a, a, a small portion of investing. There's a there's a guy that, oh gosh, I think they call him the Dogecoin master, and uh, there's a finance guy that I listened to, brought him on his podcast, and uh, it was right when Dogecoin was, like, at its peak, like, Dude's worth millions and millions of dollars. He took all of his, I think he was making like $40,000 a year, everything he had in savings, maxed out his credit cards, borrowed parents' money and like money from all of his friends, invested all of it into Dogecoin. It was at its like lowest and overnight became like a multi, multi, multi millionaire. And dude, people were like, the internet was freaking out. They're like, dude, this guy's amazing. Heck yeah. Everything's awesome. Goes on this guy's podcast that I listened to and he's like, Hey, if you sell all of your Dogecoin, all of it, because I don't think it's reliable. I think it's volatile. I don't think it's reliable. And you invest it into like like index funds, mutual funds, a very diversified portfolio that guarantees you an 8% return or 6% return or whatever it is year over year with the millions of dollars that you have. You'll be making $50,000 $60, $50 to $60,000 a year. You can go back to your old lifestyle. 
which is the same lifestyle you have. You're just not working and you're super rich. And don't do anything. <laughs> but you, you'll have that for the rest of your life. And he's like, no, nah, man, can't. Dogecoin, it's not going anywhere. And like six months later, he's broke. Oh, like, he didn't sell? He didn't sell. He kept it in Doge. Oh, no. So he paid off all of his credit cards with the millions and millions that he made, paid everyone back. But now he's, he has zero dollars and lost his job that paid $40,000 a year or whatever. And he probably didn't even get a, a grill out he of it. He probably didn't get a Traeger. Dude, what a bummer for that guy, <laughs> man. You did better than him. That's I haven't accomplished a lot in my life, but I'm taking pride in that. <laughs> I've done. I've, I've at least done that before thirty. So, <laughs> there you go, dude. Okay, here's a question. We kind of. I think you. I think you just kind of talked about it. But like, should I trust my 401k, and will it be there when I turn 65? Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> dude, I hate that answer so much, dude. So That's... let's let's play extremes. <laughs> uh, if you do a zoom out on the United States. Uh, we're like 240. How old is the United States? That's a great. I feel like. Uh, what did Alexander Hamilton say? That's how I learned most of my American history. That musical <laughs> that we watched together in your living room. And I fell asleep. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what he said. 200. We're 200 something. What was it 1776? I'm terrible at math. I'm pretty sure, but like, yeah, so 1776. So like that's 24 years to 1800. This is how I do math. This is the world. This is, so yeah, like, we're like we're like. Um, like 247 years old. Okay. Someone will correct us if we're wrong. 247 years old, yeah. I don't know. About that. Uh, anyway, so the market, the U.S. market's been around for 200-whatever years. Yeah. And if you do a zoom out on the, on the economy then versus the economy now, if, if you look at the graph, it is an upward trend constantly. Like there's no it, – it isn't until you really zoom in to like the Great Depression – the 2008 Great Recession, now with COVID and all the tiny little bear markets in there, like bear markets. It's when the market's down, essentially. Oh, okay. Uh, and bull is when it's bullish. If it's bullish, it's up. Yeah. All right. Bear down, bull up. Uh, bull it up. I could be getting those backwards because uh, I just want to run and I'm a little dehydrated. But uh, so if you zoom in, you'll see like those downward trends, and it looks a little scary. But if you do a zoom out on the U.S. economy over the last 200 years, it, it goes up. So the reason I say I hope it's still there is we haven't gone into World War III and America doesn't exist anymore. Like, mm. then at that point, like, who cares whether or not you have money in the market? But if we look at the trends of history and we look at just how inflation affects the U.S. economy, the cost of living increases, the cost of – or the, the, the wages increase, then so shall too – our investments increase and we should hope for a return. Now, depending on what's happening in the world when we retire in 2000 and, I don't know, 50? I don't know when we retire. 50, right? 60. I think it's 2060. 2060. Uh, I mean, we could be at war like we are now, kind of. There could be another... <laughs> I don't even know what that means, dude. Are we at war right now? Like, yeah, like that's you, news to me if like we are. <laughs> like, what do you mean we're kind of at war right now? I'm an American citizen. I do not think we're kind of at war. What does that mean? <laughs> Ukraine stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Like, we're yeah, involved in, like, like stuff. We, we personally don't have troops in Ukraine. But, like, with the Iraq war, we had troops in over in Iraq. I got you. Like, all, yeah. that, all of that affects the economy. Or maybe there's another, like 
crazy pandemic or maybe there's another who knows what's going to happen in 2060 and it could change how much we we get on our investments it could be really low it could be really high all of that impacts how much money we get when we are ready to retire and, and essentially put our chips in uh so is is it safe to put money in a 401k yes uh does it guarantee you with absolute certainty that you will 100% get that money back well if we're playing extremes no because we could be at war we could not be a country by 2060 i think we will be i'm just you have to play the extremes because when you play the extremes it helps kind of calm the anxious voice that's in everyone's head of should i get involved with investments which is absolutely uh because if you're not investing uh the general inflation it's not true right now because the economy is not in a great spot but generally inflation increases two percent year over year um so every year things get two percent more expensive essentially uh that's why wages need to increase if inflation is two percent every year it requires more U.S. dollars year over, year over year to buy everyday goods that you and I use. Buy homes, buy groceries, buy gas, buy cars, all that stuff. If we're just putting our money away into a uh, savings account in the bank, the interest rate that we get on savings accounts in banks is like 0.3%. So if you do just basic math, if inflation, if things are getting more and more expensive 2% every year, we're at a negative 2 deficit. And if the interest rate is only 0.3% in a general savings account, that goes from essentially negative 2% to negative 1.7%. If the general market return on a 401k or a, like an index fund is 6% or 8%, that combats the inflation, and that would that's what gives you the pillow when you go to retire that allows you to, to retire and go spend time with your grandkids if you have grandkids or travel and see the world or not work and... So like that's the advantage of just putting money in a savings account. Like doesn't it's, you're not going to be able to match inflation. No, no. So there is no advantage to putting money in a savings account. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like so, like the uh, investing in your 401k or some Way other smarter fund um, <clears throat> is like is it, it is volatile, but also like inflation is your money just losing less value. Yeah, like I mean, go back to the 1920s. It cost our great great-great-grandparents or whatever, like $1,000 to buy a house, if that. Wild. Now it's like half a million dollars in most places <laughs> yeah. uh, that you want to live to buy a, a mediocre house. 1000 to 500000 That's a result of inflation. Cars, way back when, you could buy a, co- a Coca-Cola for like a nickel. Now it's like four bucks for a Coca-Cola at a gas station. Jeez, dude. Come on, man. Yeah, so that's – come on, <laughs> gas stations. I don't even drink soda and I'm mad. Uh, but that's what I am That's what I mean when I say inflation. It It isn't always 2%, but some decisions were made and some people voted on some stuff and some policy was enacted that helped the U.S. economy ensure that inflation kind of was set around 2%. Now, today, the – Economy's not in a great spot, so inflation's like six percent or seven percent, and that's why things feel everyone feels pressure uh, when it comes to their wallets and their spending. But that's the advantage. So I don't when I've got friends who are like, yeah, I've got like a hundred k in my savings account. I'm like for what? Like you should not have a hundred k in your savings account. If you just shit on them, dude. You shit all over them. <laughs> <laughs> 
should not. You should not. I mean, I'm proud of you. That is amazing. Yeah, like, good right. job. You're hey, doing you better know. than 99% of people. Right. Heck yeah. But like, you rent, you don't invest. Like that money is losing value every day by just sitting there. And sure, maybe you want the security of knowing that uh, you have a hundred dollars, a hundred thousand dollars that you can fall back on in case you lose your job or you want to go on a six month vacation or whatever. That's if that's how you want to choose to live your life. Great. I just don't. I don't uh, subscribe to that line of thinking. I think it's more advantageous if you take that hundred thousand dollars and you put a down payment on a rental and you get the money from the renters paying you over time and they're paying off your loan and that's if inflation continues that's an asset that you have that you can sell 30 years from now 20 years from now 15 years from now that will make you probably more than that hundred thousand dollars that's in your checking account right now or savings account and likewise with with investments in the stock market through your 401k or an ira or whatever uh through a brokerage account like same thing the potential on the return is much greater than you just keeping a hundred thousand dollars in your savings account so like the people who are like oh i've got 20k stuffed away under my mattress like that line of people yeah. line that line of thinking that people subscribe to why what if it's in gold dude there's some people out there that love gold i think gold's good gold's good yeah the gold standard, man. The gold standard. The American, gold standard. baby. <laughs> I mean, everyone's buying gold right now. <laughs> Are you? I'm not. I, well, uh, okay. I do, I'm sorry. I do have a little bit, but like. Where? <laughs> <laughs> everyone's just trying. Yeah. All right. It's not much. Yeah. Uh, I'm in my 20s. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just like the cash burns. It goes away. But gold, like, it's finite. There's only so much gold, so. It's a, it's a helpful way if the world's in chaos to be able to transact things. Also, it's sunny now, still raining a little bit. What do you call that in the Northwest when it's sunny but raining? The spring. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> Some people in the South call it the devil's beating his wife. <laughs> well, I know, dude. It's, it's uh, They don't even really say that in Missouri, but like, <laughs> people in the South be saying that. Uh, I bring that up to say, do you need sunglasses? No, I'm chilling. Okay. I think. Um, Unless it's going to make it all look funny. No, no, no. If you change your mind, just like... Yeah, I'll take some sunglasses. Okay, nice. Okay, just one more finance question, then if you have any other thoughts I'd love to hear, is like, uh, explain to me uh, equity. Like, people be saying, okay, so we we rent in Seattle right now. What I'm paying in rent in Seattle is like Like, two of my friend's mortgages in the Midwest combined. Oh, 100%. Okay. You're talking about home equity. Yes. Okay. Home equity to be specific. So people are like, I'm not going to rent. I'm going to buy in whatever place so I can build equity. I don't want to sink my money into rent. And I've never in a conversation until this moment right now been brave enough to say, what do you mean? What the H-E double I'll be like, yeah, dude, good, good job. That's smart. You, you're heck, big, big brain thinking. You know, that's what I tell heck, people. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's a good question. Um, big, big fan of real estate and the real estate market. My wife and I just bought a house. Love it. You can do whatever you want. So it's amazing. Uh, so when you rent, that money just goes to someone else's pockets. Money that you essentially burn every paycheck. Doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't pr- provide any value to you. Except the roof. Except. And <laughs> shelter. <laughs> Besides shelter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is no other value to it. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, so equity, 
Uh, I'm going to use whole numbers just to and and, and that's amb- helpful for me. When we get into like weird numbers, I'm like, I yeah. glaze over like and, a donut. And ambiguous towns. Uh, not ambiguous. We'll use real city. Uh, so let's take uh, let's take Portland as an example. Rip City. Rip City, USA. Uh, this is not true to what's happening in Portland right now. I'm just using whole numbers and a fake scenario. So if you bought a house in 2018 in Portland, and let's say you bought that house for $300,000. Got it. COVID happens, and the housing market goes crazy. Interest rates go way down. Everyone's like, dude, I, I'm going to move. Everyone starts working remotely. I'm going to move to a city I want to live in. I'm going to I'm gonna buy a house because interest rates are super down. It's a good time to buy. Home prices skyrocket. So say it's now 2022, so four years later. The house that you bought in Portland that was worth $300,000 that you bought is now worth $600,000 because okay. the housing market, the value of the market increased. So home prices naturally increased. So you see that in desirable locations. Um, Seattle is just expensive, but like, uh, there's cities in Montana, Boise, Idaho is an example of this, Florida, Texas, uh, California, like places that people want to live naturally housing markets will increase because you, there's a value to being in that city that is not just the plain Joe that you, you city that you live in today or, or whatever. Um, so home equity uh, is that $300,000 that you made in this made-up scenario where you bought a house in 2018, it was worth $300,000, and because it's, as an example in this made-up scenario, a desired place for people to live, it shot the housing market up, and now that house that you bought, you can sell it for $600,000. So because it's valued at that much, uh, that's essentially the equity that you have on uh, on that house, that extra gap of $300,000. How do you get it? Uh, you essentially, you take out a loan on that $600,000 house. And, uh, if, if I'm saying that right, um, and that's the money that you have that is like just given to you. So, uh, if you take out, Maybe I don't know a home equity. <laughs> Dude, I was with you until you got to that loan piece, and I was like, okay, the $300,000, is that the equity? That's what I was like waiting for you to say. Um, we can cut this all out if you no, want. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, wait, I, got, I, got, I got a video editing software. I can chop it up, baby. I don't know. We've already cut some stuff out. Dude. No, I got lost in my own Got lost in the sauce, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the sun's beating down on you, dude. <laughs> and I'm, and He's I'm just, cooking over here. And just, your face was so funny. Oh, you were like, that makes sense. And then I said the loan thing. And you <laughs> dude, you like, like took me off the deep end. I was like, like, I can't swim. I can't swim. Throw me a life jacket. You were like, you were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Uh, so uh, you would take out uh, if if you wanted to keep the house you could take out what's called a home equity loan. And the home equity loan draws from, that's where I got it mixed up. The home equity loan draws from uh, that that value that was created from the market there because you can 
it's so silly. It's because you can sell that house in this made-up scenario oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. at $600,000. So I don't entirely know the exact details of how it works, but because the value of the houses in that area, the market increased it to $600,000, you have got that three hundred k to play with, plus whatever you've paid off in your mortgage payments every month, uh, you can take out a loan on that that extra value that's been placed there and that's what's called a home equity loan if you just sell the house outright a lot of people whether it's correct or not they they use that as like oh that's the equity that i made off that loan or that's the value or the value that i made off that that real estate okay so i i paid three hundred thousand for it and the whatever years that we lived there we paid 50k off of it over our mortgage payments so we sold it for 600 uh, we brought home three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and we paid uh uh b- because they paid 600 they paid you $600,000 you give 250 of that to the mortgage company that you lent you you re- that they lent to you from uh to pay off your the rest of your mortgage and then you you cash that 350 to go do whatever you want ah does that I, make sense that, no that makes sense that makes so sense i got i was i was going in the yeah, right yeah, you direction got it. Yeah, yeah, until you got i brought up the loan and then i said the loan thing backwards a little bit so we fixed it yeah yeah, yeah. the home equity thing what is home equity it's the ability for you to use the value that you made off of your real estate purchase to do more with off of the money that you made from that dude thank you so much man now i can like actually have that conversation in real life uh not on a a podcast yeah um where people say that and i'm like yeah i cannot just say yeah that's cool man good job like i actually know what they're talking about so i appreciate it maybe you know help other people too Uh, that was fun though i liked um, learning some stuff. You listen to podcasts about finance? Is that all the time? What What are some podcasts that people are like? Yeah, I actually do want to learn more about this. Like, what? Where would you point people yeah, uh, to like learn more? Yeah, uh, there's two YouTube channels that I would highly recommend. Uh, Graham Stephan. He's a young guy. He became a millionaire at 26 years old. Realist. Yeah. <laughs> Real. Like he's not a professional athlete. No, he did. He's. If you see him, you're like he's just. There's nothing about him to scream. Sorry. It's an average Sorry, Joe. Graham. Dude. Sorry, Graham. An average. No, he's brilliant. And okay. he's so dude, he, he takes... looks like an average Joe, but he's not. Oh my gosh. So he he got into the real he never went to college, got into the real estate game in California, and uh, I think he lives in Vegas now. I don't know. He just bought a house for like one point six million dollars. It's a family city now, I hear. I don't know. I just heard that. So I don't know if that's even reliable. Someone just told me that the other day, and I've been saying that. Now. I subscribe to that line of thinking. Yeah, they've rebranded everywhere except for the strip. <laughs> uh, so Graham Stephan, he takes basically what's going on in world news that's finance related and makes it so easy to understand. Um, easy, easy, like person to listen to. Graham Stephan, uh, and then the other person, if you're like new to investing specifically investing with rose on youtube uh there are two like they're on spotify they're on apple music uh they're kind of everywhere but the two podcasts that i would say uh if you want to learn more about finances is choose if so choose and then capital i f choose independent finance and they are all about like orienting your decisions in your life to be completely independent financially so you don't depend on an employer you don't depend on anyone Uh, dude that sounds like comics bro like for real like choose if is the name of the podcast choose if yeah that sounds like if you're an aspiring comic 
or your headlining comic, that might be a podcast for you. That sounds interesting. <laughs> keep going. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, it might be. They're pretty dull, but brilliant. But they and could then... go learn some because I mean, like every comedian who's like going full time comedy or even doing a, like a side hustle, like for me, like on the side, just like you are your own business, you know. So you're trying to figure out a hundred percent. That's like cool. their whole vision statement, but and choose if is like you don't want to be in a position where you are dependent on someone else. Like if you have the strategy, the know-how, and the understanding of making the right decisions at the right time to be completely financially independent, like that's that's what we want for you because we're, we're in that and it is the most freeing thing in the, in, in the world. They say that true American freedom is independent finance. Like that that's their whole... You freedom! Can, you can subscribe to that if you want to or, or you cannot. And then there's another one. I honestly cannot remember the name of it, but it's a real estate one. So if I remember the name, I'll uh, send it to you, and you can like put it in. Yeah, I'll put I'll put all the. Any if you have some other ones, I'll put these in the show notes. I'll say like Taylor's Rex, and uh, recommendations. Does that means? Yeah. And uh, I'll put it in all the sh- in the show notes with like description, look like, little mini descriptions. Yeah, of them yeah. For people. Um, and there there are more in the real estate game, and. We're talking. You asked me about investments. Yeah. Uh, you'll he- you'll hear people say like, "What's your real estate portfolio look like?" And there are people out there that like their whole passion is real estate. So they're buying multiple properties of real estate and they're building a large real estate portfolio. So they'll own condos, they'll own apartments, they'll own duplexes, they'll own like single home rentals, and that's their portfolio. Uh, and they're big believers in like that whole scene. So those are. If I had to t- tell you anyone, four people that they should listen to, Graham Stephan, Investing with Rose on YouTube, phenomenal. Uh, Graham Stephan has a podcast called The Iced Coffee Hour, and he'll have a wide- Iced Coffee? Uh, the Iced Coffee Hour. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, and he has a wide array of business owners on his podcast, so listen to all of them. Um, and then the the two that you'll find that necessarily aren't on YouTube- Choose IF and then this other one that I can't remember the name of. That's more real estate that I can send you. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Yeah. Was there a question you hoped that I would have asked you that I didn't? Oh. Either about comedy or, or finance or your life? The only other thing, it's not that I hope that you would have asked me this, but uh, it's not related to comedy because <laughs> I'm not a comic. <laughs> uh, don't understand it. Love it. Don't understand it. Uh, but more in the finance sector is uh, a lot of the times people who never invested before or have never bought a home want to get involved in real estate, the question they ask me is, where do I start? You have to start with your personal budget. And the following question that I get is, how? So people don't have an understanding of how to build their monthly budget that puts them in a position or sets them up at a pace that is good to get to a place where they can pay off some debt and invest and save for a house so there are they call them like the industry standards of like kind of what you should shoot for uh so i'll just break that down really quick so when you take let's take a hundred percent of what you make after tax uh and we're going to go by the month so throw any number in there it's a thousand dollars it's five thousand dollars ten thousand dollars whatever um they say that you should be spending no more than 30 percent of that on housing so you'll see or you'll hear people say i'm house broke that means that they subscribed or bought into uh, a house where they got into an apartment that the rent or the mortgage was too much. So maybe they live somewhere that they love, but they don't have any more, that there's no more money for them to go out and like 
go out with friends or go on a vacation or go camping over the weekend or get outdoor gear, whatever your hobby is, they, they can't afford that. They're house poor. Um, so you don't want to go over 30% of the income that you make. Uh, so do an assessment on your mortgage, your rent, look at how much you make, your household, whatever. And uh, if, you, if you're paying more than 30% of your uh, take home after taxes as a house, uh, it might be wise to consider moving somewhere more affordable. Uh, so 30% housing, no more than 10% should go toward travel. And I don't mean travel as in like you're going to places you haven't been before. I'm talking about gas, yeah. car insurance, and your car payment. Unfortunately, this is an area that most Americans like they just they go out and they get a brand new car and when they shouldn't and they're spending way too much money. They're I read a statistic. Their car broke, man. Their car broke. <laughs> literally. And I read a statistic. You can't go nowhere in the car because no. the car broke. I've read uh, two separate statistics and they're both different, but the average car payment in America right now, it's either like seven, almost 800 bucks or almost $900. Wow. Think about that. <sighs> That's a lot. And then you got to pay insurance and gas. So no more than 10%. I know it's hard for people, but try as much as you can. Uh, you then should be saving slash investing 15 to 20% of your income. And then charitable, don't like if you are a believer or go to your church or whatever, they often ask you to give 10%. Uh, so you should do all of that. So 30 plus 10 plus another 10 for donations, let's call that, that's 50%. And then another 15 to 20% in savings. Savings, yeah. That's, let's call it 65, 70%. That means only 30% of what you make, you're actually spending on eating out, new clothes, the things that you want to do. And people just, that that lifestyle demands a ton of discipline. But if you want to get to this place where you have independent finance and you're investing, you're saving for a house, you have to subscribe to it or be a multi-multi-bajillionaire and make a lot of money and get lucky. Be the Dogecoin guy. <laughs> Dude, that's uh, that's interesting. You you bring up the... <clears throat> The, the the tithing piece the giving piece because like as you were talking about like the the financial freedom that verse of um, from Galatians where it says that is for freedom that Christ has set us free and like the freedom we have in Christ and like so when someone hears like oh like Christ like Christians uh, like it's a general practice of the ten percent you know we're not we're not getting into that <laughs> let's just say like general Christianity would say like maybe ten percent for for tithing um, giving generously to the the church the body of christ and that that doesn't sound very freeing that sounds like uh chains like constriction you know right and uh, i was talking to a friend about this earlier this week of like of uh, the things that uh, have control over us in life that money has so much power to control us like our anxiety like anxious thinking and um you always talk about financial freedom like if you could just say it in like like a paragraph like um, I guess just what I'm wondering is like, how have you experienced like freedom in being generous, like connected to your faith in Jesus? Does that make that question make sense? Yeah, it's just a big question. That's a big question. I it's, know. I just, I just I took. I always like to take hard right turns. Dude. That's a hard right turn, dude, bro. I just, we shifted gears. Quick, I struggled to explain home equity, and now we're all <laughs> over here, dude. Come on over, dude. The water's nice. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, in a paragraph. 
Yeah, like I was just thinking like what Jesus says, like it is like uh, I think the Apostle Paul quotes Jesus in, in the book of Acts where he says uh, how like the Lord said it's more blessed to give than receive. Like the, this generosity. Um, I think if I – giving reminds me whether I want to or not that hope, happiness, and fulfillment does not come – from a paycheck or how much money is in my checking account or investments or whatever. It comes from first a heavenly father and then my family, my wife and the people that I have around me who know me and are there for me, whether I'm at the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, money will never and can never replace that. And when, when I and my wife give uh, to the various places that we give, uh, it is a genuine reminder of that, and it frees up the rest of our our finances as we look at our budget to to think through that lens. You said hope, happiness, and fulfillment. Fulfillment. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Thank you, man. That's that's a really good paragraph too. By the way, <laughs> I, like that took my like three cent, my paragraph long question. I phrased, dude. I'm I'm notorious for that, man. I'm just so long winded, dude. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for, for for being on the the potty this week. Uh, just trying to finance, just trying to finance. One of my professors in college, she would only say finance, and it drove me crazy. It sounded so pretentious. Sounds southern. <laughs> oh, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I've always associated with being pretentious and like uppity when you say finance, but uh, maybe it's just a southern thing. <laughs> it's a southern thing. Wow, too. I need to check myself before I wreck myself, dude. Uh, the sun is gone now. Uh, it has been all kinds of weather during this like outdoor podcast. I think it's the first one I've done outdoors. Come on. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but uh, thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of Just Trying to Podcast. We appreciate all your support. If you want to become a supporter like A-Rob, you can go onto Spotify or check the link in the show notes or any of my Instagram bios. For just 99 cents a month, you can become a supporter of JTP. Uh, my next show, if you're in or around Seattle or in Washington, I encourage you to come out uh, this Thursday, May 18th at Laughs. Wait, not yeah, this Thursday, May 18th at Laughs Comedy Club. Uh, I'll be at, uh, the, uh, I'll be performing there. I think the show's at eight. The link will be in the show notes. Come out. Uh, I think I even got like a friends and family discount code. Uh, I'll put that in there. I would love for any love and support to come out uh, for that show. And uh, as always, my front, my my friends. As always, my friends. <laughs> my zero is really showing. Uh, stay funny and stay weird. Great shot!